Well, good evening. It is great to be speaking to you today. My name is Josh. I'm one of the clergy here at St. Nick's. And can I start by saying Happy New Year? It is wonderful to be speaking to you in our first service of 2023. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas and New Year season. Today, I'm launching our new sermon series, which is called New. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be setting ourselves up for a transformational year with Jesus, looking at new motivation, new opportunity, new creation. And today I'm kicking us off talking about new inspiration, spending time in the presence of God through prayer. Today, uh, to do this, we're going to be thinking about a passage from John 15, where Jesus is speaking directly to his followers. So please grab your Bible, your phone, or follow along on the screen, and we'll read this together now. So this is John 15, 1 to 8. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that withers. That branch is thrown away and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. As I said, it's great to be back after the Christmas holidays, and I hope you all had a glorious break. Who was in Bristol for the break? Nice, a few people. And who went away for the break? Okay, nice. And uh, those of you who went away to family, you know, possibly to the homes you grew up in, I wonder if you do this thing that I do when I get back to my mum and dad's, or when you get back to, you know, your, your childhood guardian's place, and you just revert to being a child again. You revert to being the age that you were when you last lived there. I don't know if anyone can relate to that. Um, I asked this morning at the morning service, which has a lot of married couples in it, and as I asked that question, I saw a lot of people do this kind of shifty lean and like eyeball their other half and be like, you do that. Um, but uh, Hannah and Amos and I were in glorious Devon, God's favorite place for the first bit of the Christmas break with my parents, and then we shot across to Hannah's parents on the Isle of Wight. And I had this really funny moment while I was at my parents where I'd had a shower and I was like getting dressed and ready and I was on my way downstairs and I thought, oh man, I need to go back and pick up my pajamas and the pair of underpants that I'd left on the bathroom floor or I'm going to be in trouble and my sister will get really annoyed. And then I laughed because I'm a grown adult and I was up with my own family, you know, bringing my son to my parents for his first Christmas. And suddenly I was worried about being rebuked for my poor bathroom tidiness like I was 15 years old again. I don't know if that's just me. Maybe you can relate to that. But it's funny though, isn't it, how easy it is to slip into old ways of doing things or old thoughts or old ideas. 
Um, and we have to take that moment to be like, no, that's not, that's not reality. That's not what I think anymore. That's not what I know to be true. And I was talking with a friend recently uh, who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, and he was asking me about prayer. And he's moving across the country at the moment, so he was clearing his flat out, and I was there to give him a hand. And he'd given a load of food and kitchen stuff to a charity initiative uh, in his area that um, help people living in poverty. And it turned out that his local branch of this was run by the church. Come on, church. Um, and he'd been chatting to the person when he'd gone to drop off all the stuff. And they were obviously a Christian. And he'd explained that he was doing this because he was moving. And they said that they'd pray for his move. And he just found this so strange. He was like, the world is so messed up, Josh. There's like famines and wars and so much bad stuff happening. Like, what's this woman doing? Like, wasting a prayer on my move. He was like, it'll be fine, I'm sure. Like, pray for something more important. And he was asking me about this because he just didn't get it. He was like, is that something that you do? And I was thinking about this as I drove away, and I thought, oh, that's so funny. Or, like, not funny, but strange. Like, he doesn't get it. He just doesn't understand that it's a relationship. Like, God invites us into relationship. Jesus wants to know him. Jesus cares about him. So, of course, he cares about his move. He cares about all the details of his life, especially things that would cause him stress or worry. Like, if only he got that it's a relationship, then he'd understand. And then I honestly felt so convicted because I think so often, like the pants in the bathroom panic, I fall back into the societal thinking about prayer. How often I begin to view prayer as this obligation, this task that I have to do at the start of the day for 10 minutes or whatever. Or this divine slot machine where I'm like pinging up my request to this almighty being in the clouds. Or I feel guilty because I haven't been praying for those biggies enough like world hunger or, uh, to be honest, my classic actually is telling someone I'll pray for something and then forgetting all about it uh, and then feeling bad about that. I don't know if any of you recognize that in yourself, but I find I slide into that way of thinking so easily. Even when I was asked to preach this preach this evening, I'll be honest with you, my knee-jerk thought was, oh, rats, that is my least favorite topic to speak on because I'm no good at prayer. But that is not the way that Jesus talks about it at all. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. In fact, this point is so important that Jesus repeats that six times in our passage. Remain in me, remain in me, remain in me. The ESV and some other translations translate that word as abide in me. Make your home in me. Make your home in me. I love that. Your home, you know, the place where you go to rest the place where you go um, to recoup, to shelter in the hard times. You know, the place that you go for like a bite to eat in the midst of a busy day. The place that you invite people into. Your home. Make your home in me. I love that. That begins to speak of a prayer that's, you know, not an obligatory task, an invitation to abide in Jesus. Not a list of needs or wants, an invitation to abide in Jesus. Not self-help an invitation to abide in Jesus, and never a cause of guilt, but an invitation to make your home in Jesus. Jesus is showing that at the heart of it all, the very purpose is about intimacy with him. 
intimacy with your God, your creator, your savior, your brother, and your friend. That's the only thing that matters, to be close to the God who made you and longs for relationship with you. And our passage shows us something really cool and really beautiful that happens in that intimacy. As you remain in Jesus, you become more like him. And as Jesus remains in you, he brings to the fullness uh, more and more of who you were made to be. As you remain in Jesus, you become more like him. I'll admit before you all this evening that I am extremely pedantic about grammar and language use. I know what you're thinking, Josh, I can tell from this beautifully crafted and eloquent sermon that the use of grammar is really important to you, Um, and you'd be right. And one of my pet peeves, which I'm not very gracious or Jesus-like about, and I'm trying to get better, but is when people use the same word far too frequently. Hannah and I are currently listening to all the audiobooks of Harry Potter, um, and Stephen Fry is really annoying me because of his pronunciation of some things, like armchair. Um, but that's, that's a side point. That's not really, you know. The thing that's really annoying me is that J.K. Rowling uses a few words way too frequently. And I'm sure it's really annoying Hannah as well because every time it happens, I point it out. But it really bothers me. The worst I ever had to endure of this um, was while I was at uni, my flatmate went through this phase of life where he said bizarre all the time. Like everything was bizarre. Mate, the hot water is taking ages to come through. How bizarre. I just had the most bizarre lecture. Have you met so-and-so? He's quite bizarre. It was honestly maddening. And then, to make it even worse, he started dating this girl that we knew, and then she started massively overusing the word bizarre. It was honestly a brutally hard season of life for me to endure. They are now happily married, and luckily they have been cured of their bizarre illness. This has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, by the way. I just wanted to get it off my chest. I'm just kidding. The point is, when you spend time with someone, you become like them. Their language becomes your language. Their interests become your interests. Their opinions become your opinions. The things that set their heart on fire begin to set your heart on fire. The way they react to things becomes the way you react to things. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. When you abide in Jesus, when you make your home in Jesus, you become more like him. You take on his mannerisms, his heart for those around you. You begin to see the world through his beautiful eyes. And the things that aren't right, those things that break his heart, begin to break yours. But not in a way that leaves you alone, but in a way that draws you into more beautiful closeness with Jesus. As you spend time remaining in Jesus this year, however you choose to do that, you become more like him as he gently and beautifully shapes you and grows you. As we think about prayer and time spent with Jesus, it's hard to ignore the incredible legacy of prayer that we have in this city and in this place in particular. John and Charles Wesley, the founders of Methodism, 
and the leaders of the Wesleyan Revival in the UK began this whole thing with this call back to holiness, prayer, and the Word of God. They began it all with a few house churches um, that were spread throughout the city of Bristol. And two of the really big ones that there are lots of records about were here on St. Nicholas Street and one road over uh, on Baldwin Street. And what they did was they met there and they listened to the Word of God, the Bible, and they spent time making themselves available to God in prayer. And God showed up. Revival. People coming back to Jesus and people meeting Jesus for the first time broke out in the city and spread across the nation. People were being transformed by God. The poor were being set free from the alcohol addiction that was ravaging the country. People rose up in opposition to the slave trade. These new Christians fought slavery. They reformed the prison system. They started relief agencies for the poor and the marginalized, the first social care in the UK. They built schools. They built hospitals. The effect of the revival that broke out was so huge that secular historians even claim that it altered the shape of English history and probably saved England from the same kind of revolution that happened in France. And do you know what I love about this? Do you know why I find this so exciting? It's because they didn't set out to do any of that. They just gathered to be with Jesus and to spend time with Jesus to spend time with the God who made them and wants relationship with them. And as they did that, his heart became their heart. And his cares became their cares. They began to see the world as he does. As they remained in him, they were shaped by him. He came amongst them. He met with them. He led them and guided them. And as their hearts aligned, he did what only he can do, to move in power. And the nation was changed. Verse 5 of our passage read, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in Jesus, if you abide in Jesus, you become more like him and you reflect his glory as you do. And as he remains in you, he brings his fruit out within you. And what is this fruit? We talk in cash, we talk in prizes. What does he mean, fruit? Well, Paul describes the fruit of a life with Jesus like this in his letter to the Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I love that against such things there is no law at the end. Like yet another reminder that it's not about tasks and rules, but it's about the joy and freedom of relationship and intimacy with the God who made you and loves you. It's an incredible reminder. I love that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As you abide in Jesus, as you make your home in Jesus, he releases love within you, a profound sense of being loved and the ability to truly love others. As you abide in Jesus, he releases joy within you, a supernatural state of being that allows you to weather the highs and lows of life with a profound sense of wellness within your soul. As you abide in Jesus, he releases patience within you, the ability to reconcile difference and to live at peace with those who are different to you. 
As you abide in Jesus, he releases kindness within you to love the hurting world around you that breaks down walls and whispers grace into the world. As you abide in Jesus, he releases goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control within you, forming you into a holy character as you become the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And he does it all for the joy of intimacy with you and to see his goodness flow through you. And it all comes from abiding in him, being in him, spending time in the presence of Jesus. And how do we do that? We make space for him. I'm not going to get precise about this because we're all made differently. What works for me might not work for you. But find a space in your day to give time over to Jesus. To just sit there or maybe to walk there. I don't know, what, like I say, whatever works for you. But for five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes, six hours, I don't know what you're like. Um, but give that time over to just be with Jesus. Maybe that is a completely new concept to you. Maybe it's something you find difficult. Um, maybe it's something you want to grow in. But you might want to ask the people you're with, maybe the people you came with tonight or the people you know who know Jesus. You know, What do you do? How do you spend time with Jesus? What works for you? Keep asking people. Learn from each other and find something that works for you. But find space to simply say, here I am, Jesus. I'm all yours. I'm here for you. I'm here to be with you, to abide in you, to make my home in you, to dwell in you, and persevere with it and see what fruit he brings. Invite him into every part of your day. Let him be your refuge in your home while you're in your office, or your halls, or your lectures, or in the gym, or at home, or wherever you are. You have to forgive me if you've heard this illustration before, but preach what you know, right? My wedding day was the best day of my life because I got to drink a Glenfarclas 25-year, the archetypal, definitive, space-side single malt whiskey. It's beautifully complex, delicately sherried, has hints of gingerbread and nutty chocolate. Its finish is long and complex, oak-rich with hints of smoke and cocoa butter. It is the single greatest thing I have ever put in my mouth. And to make this glorious drama of the kings, what they've done is they've made something a lot like a flat beer, and then they run that through a still to make it into a spirit. And there you go, that's essentially what you're drinking. It takes less than a day to do, uh, and I've tasted it at that point, and I can confirm to you that it is absolutely vile. It tastes like paint stripper. So where does the magic happen? Well, what they do is they take that paint stripper and they pop it into a barrel, in this case, an ex-sherry barrel. And it sits in there for 25 years. And during that maturation process, because it's in that barrel, it takes on all of its flavor, all of its depth, and all of its character, and it becomes phenomenal. We are that paint stripper. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are paint stripper. We are that paint stripper. But Jesus' invitation to you this evening is to abide in him. 
Make your home in him. Sit in the barrel that is Jesus. And as you abide in him, simply through being with him, making yourselves available to him, communing with him, taking the time to be with him, you take on his character and his flavor and his depth. You become more like him. You're shaped by him. He unleashes his fruit within you. And in turn, you flavor everything in the world around you with the presence and the flavor of Jesus. I don't know what your New Year's resolutions might be. I'm doing all the classics. Exercise more, eat less, drink more water, drink less coffee, take a multivitamin, you know. All, all the really cool, fun ones. Um, but the one that actually matters, the only one that really matters as we go into 2023, the only goal that will last into eternity is to build your relationship with the God who made you and loves you and to take up that invitation this year more and more, that invitation of Jesus to remain in me as I remain in you. Why don't I pray? Can I invite you to stand? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the incredible, sensational, life-altering fact that you want a relationship with us. I pray that that would never um, be stale or normal or we think that that makes sense, but that would always be the craziest, most wonderful news we've ever heard. Lord, I pray that uh, this year we would each accept your amazing invitation to make our home in you. No matter what we face, no matter how we feel, uh, would we be able to take that time to sit with you, to walk with you, to, to invite you to be with us where we are, to make time to sit in your presence and be shaped by you, to be guided by you. And Lord, we invite you to bring your fruit in us more and more this year as you mold us into your incredible character. And we take that opportunity now to abide in you. We welcome you to meet with us, to speak to us, to be with us. And as we've been talking about the Wesleyan revival this evening, I thought I would pray the Wesleyan prayer for the new year that they wrote during that revival. And you might want to echo it in your hearts. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with who you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine, and I am yours. So be it. 
and the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven.